This is how we overcome We're moving out Keep us up Reaching to the world Arms open Arms open Yeah This is how we practice Great Welcome back to Crazy Faith Talk. I'm Steve. I'm Erica. And I'm Sarah. So friends, we're in the middle of a new series, a new series for the month of November, where we are talking about encounters with serendipitous faith. So we just finished up a series where um, we were talking about our encounters with God and how God shows up in maybe a little bit more obvious ways, ways we were expecting him to show up or, or seeking God. Um to to give us direction and so we, we're taking this series those times um at least biblically speaking so far where god has just kind of showed up out of nowhere people weren't expecting him um they were not even expecting maybe even in some cases like abraham didn't even know that god existed so where are we taking things uh for this week sarah so in a very similar vein we're going to be talking about that exact same thing but in the new testament and we, we're going to try to limit ourselves a little bit here because there are just so many examples of people encountering God when they weren't expecting to, uh, because, you know, Jesus is walking around and doing stuff and interacting with people left and right. So we're going to each talk about a moment uh, with Jesus where people encounter God and again weren't expecting it and then we're each going to talk about a moment that doesn't involve Jesus as directly is that yeah, is that a fair way to put it that's fair yeah yeah okay. because you make such a good point that like if we follow the ancient Christian confession that in Jesus is God in the human life walking around then anywhere Jesus goes is an unexpected God moment because none of them have the creed to go oh yeah it's God from God light from light true God from true God um so maybe the quintessential example uh, I think is the pattern in the stories of calling disciples that at least as the synoptic gospel writers tell it Matthew Mark and Luke uh Jesus happens upon people who are doing other things um there's Peter and Andrew mending their nets for they are fishermen. There's John and James who are working for their dad, old Zeb, uh, again, in the family fishing business. They are not seeking to be students of a rabbi. They are not looking for religious enlightenment. They are minding their own business, doing their own thing. Jesus finds them and uh, says, come follow me and I'll make you fish for people. And when they were not looking for it, their lives get turned upside down in that moment. Similarly, where Jesus calls uh, the tax collector uh, Matthew, or as Matthew or the other gospel writers call him Levi, he's actively in the business of collecting taxes, doing that job, and Jesus calls him uh, to come follow and become one of his disciples. So like those are moments, none of those people woke up that day thinking maybe God will turn my life around. They're just, it's an ordinary Thursday. How do I get through the day? Um, and Jesus interrupts and changes and challenges and surprises them. I, to me, I feel like that's the, at the heart of what we mean when we talk about those serendipitous moments. But lest we think Jesus only comes to call people to do work for him or that he's only appearing when he's hiring, uh, what are some other examples of serendipitous faith kind of moments that do involve Jesus, maybe to give us a, a fuller picture? I've always liked the story of the feeding of the multitudes. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's, again, in the synoptics, several examples of this where Jesus and friends are out, uh, a large crowd um, that has a large number, like 
5,000 men plus women and children or 5,000 total um, are, are like following him to hear him speak, to maybe be healed. And then Jesus is all like, mm, there's a large group of people here and night is fast approaching. Uh, disciples go and dismiss everybody so that they can go back to the towns and find something to eat because you know they're going to be hungry and the disciples are all like mm, all right like or or disciples you go and feed them and again it's that's really difficult to do like they wouldn't have gotten back in time so anyway jesus takes it upon himself that he's going to feed everybody and it just so happens in one of the stories that there's a little boy who has like two loaves and five loaves or bah, some bread and some fish and jesus <laughs> like hands it out and somehow there's enough left over after everybody has eaten their fill that there's 12 baskets of leftover scraps like it's a miracle like and i don't think you know and, and it's this might be splitting hairs for me but it's because obviously the crowd was there to listen to see jesus jesus had been performing miracles so maybe they were looking for a miracle but maybe they weren't. And I think that's really hard to like say what they were and were not expecting. But mm -hmm. I doubt that they were expecting a feeding miracle, that they mm -hmm. were expecting to be fed. And I think maybe multiple levels here, right? Because they are physically mm -hmm. fed. But I also like to think that they were spiritually fed. So like there's a lot of feeding going on here. Sure. And sure. I, I just I love that moment. Yeah. And at least the way the narrators frame that story, um, the maybe people have come out to see Jesus and they're looking to be healed of sickness, but like there's no sense of they're expecting free food out of nowhere at this point. And even the disciples have a reasonable solution of when it's getting late in the day, Jesus send them away and they'll go home and get food on their own. They could stop at the grocery store or at the gas station and at least get a sandwich. Um, and instead Jesus turns this into a rather different moment. Uh, that, like for me, there is the, this huge serendipity that there's an obvious, simple, complete need, natural, doesn't break the rules of physics, uh, solution in mind, send the people home, they'll get their own dinner. And instead Jesus turns this into something that feels like a miracle beyond explanation that nobody had been expecting. It's like, it's, it's like an unnecessary miracle, too. And like when Jesus heals people, there's an obvious, we brought you this person who's crippled so that you can help them walk again, Jesus. We brought you news about Lazarus dying so you can raise him back to life again. But hungry people, they're the natural fix for it. And Jesus skips over the natural fix and goes right to, let's, let's start multiplying loads. So a slightly different encounter with Jesus and, and different even from the disciples where Jesus kind of goes out and finds them is the encounter when Jesus runs into the woman at the well. Mm -hmm. mm. And it's different from the disciples in the fact that Jesus is already there and she mm -hmm. comes across him mm -hmm. because she's out there midday. She, she's a scandalous woman. She's had five husbands. She's with a guy who's not her husband. So she's going out to the well at a time. Nobody else goes. And she runs across this, random guy sitting in a well just kind of waiting there for a drink of water and it completely changes her life mm -hmm. and not just her life as as they have a conversation as she starts hearing about who jesus is and, and jesus tells her that you know yes i'm the one that you've been searching for she goes back and tells her community mm -hmm. then start following jesus so it's not just a one-on-one -on -one encounter 
it's an entire community yeah. is changed because the encounter, the serendipitous encounter between Jesus and this scandalous woman at a well at noon because Jesus is thirsty. To me, it it's it seems like this is one of those stories where we're given a little bit of hint that Jesus is intentionally setting up the possibility of this kind of encounter. Mm-hmm. But yeah, as you point out that that the unnamed woman is not expecting maybe I'll meet the you know the the Messiah at the well today. He's but, not expecting to meet anybody. <laughs> right, right, right. If I remember right, the way John introduces this story um, in the beginning of John 4, he says something like, they got to go from point A to point B, and they had to go through Samaria. And like, that's one of those like, well, wait a second, any other self-respecting Jewish rabbi would have deliberately avoided Samaria and gone around and, you know, avoided those, you know, terrible, dirty Samaritans. So Jesus deliberately creates that this kind of encounter. And maybe he doesn't know or picture her. Maybe he's not like, ah, I can see the woman already. But like, Jesus has this way of setting up those kind of encounters with people who are on the margins. And so for Jesus, it's not serendipitous in the sense that like Jesus isn't no, I wonder who I'll meet today. But you get the sense Jesus is is um uh you know deliberately stacking the deck for creating this kind of encounter to happen. For for the woman though, yeah, she's not expecting her life to be changed or to meet anybody. And Jesus has this way of making those kind of moments happen. And the fact that he has sent the disciples off. Yeah, <laughs> right. For them to have that intimate conversation where if she walked up to that well and there's 13 guys just kind of chilling there. Yeah, she walks away immediately, right? She would hike back to her town and be like, okay, I'll come back in a couple hours, try this again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I never thought about that. But yeah, like he creates that moment and no, and yeah, he's got a sense. If she sees a big crowd, she doesn't even show up, you know, into the plaza. She goes, you know, goes right back on home. I'll come back later. Yeah, yeah. It, it, and I think it's important too, as, as you note, that like this is different from the calling of disciples story in that Jesus doesn't announce, now I'm equipping you, you shall be one of my apostles. She becomes one without, like she goes and does more missionary work than any of the disciples had done at that point. Um, but uh, that this isn't like, uh, I've got a new job for you, but like just it's the being in the presence of Jesus becomes such an overwhelming joy that like you can't help but tell people you know and like uh, i mean that's even part of the imagery of the story about water that is gushing for like that it can't be contained that like here it is in her own life the presence of jesus is just becomes this life that overflows from her but yeah she's not expecting a job change or a a a life-changing encounter and this moment happens now to your point earlier sarah it's kind of obvious or easy to pick moments like this with Jesus because he's a walking, talking God moment. Um, But it's probably worth noting, even after the story of Jesus ascending into heaven, when the Christian community is now kind of figuring this out uh, without physical Jesus walking around with them, these kind of moments continue. But what are some of those moments that feel like serendipity moments in the later New Testament? So, so mine feels like it blurs the line quite a bit because uh, my, my, my moment that I'm going to talk about is Jesus appearing in a dream to somebody. Okay. So it's, um, it's, it's the conversion of Paul, Mm -hmm. Um, Paul, who had been persecuting Christians, early followers of the church after Jesus has already ascended into heaven. He's persecuting people and he's traveling. And um, while he's on the road, he um, is blinded by a sudden light and he falls to the ground. And 
a voice speaks to him who is Jesus who is saying you know Saul Saul which is what Paul also goes by why do you persecute me and um you know so Paul is going well who are you and and the voice replies I am Jesus whom you are persecuting um and then he gives Paul some directions and like Paul has a literal come to Jesus moment and instead stops persecuting Christians and instead becomes a leader within the church. So it feels like it's like it, it is still a encounter with Jesus. Jesus, but yeah. Jesus is, is God. So like it's but it's it's Jesus after the ascension. Yeah. And it's definitely different because like you say, this is and certainly it's not at all that Paul is expecting, maybe I'll meet Jesus on the road. He's looking to kill yeah. anybody associated with Jesus or bring him in chains or, you know, bound back uh, to be put on trial. Um, and he's the same one who'd been holding coats when they stoned Stephen to death. So I'm like, clearly he is anti-Jesus and is not looking for a one-on-one -on -one come to Jesus moment. But Jesus is seeking him out. Um, that's I think that's a huge deal in this story. To me that story which again to me it also like is hugely influential in paul's theology to read his his letters to you get the sense of god seeks us out even while we're enemies of god he knows that because he lived it but like th that's an important piece that the idea of serendipitous faith isn't if i'm already a believer then god's more likely to create those moments when uh i'll encounter god but i won't be expecting it but even if we are dead set turned away from god absolutely do not want anything to do with god and have deliberately rejected jesus uh that doesn't stop him um and i think that's an important piece about this idea of experiencing faith serendipitously it doesn't even require us to be um open or uh seeker or anything like that sometimes it happens people who are kind of generically seeking god but the idea that god isn't bound by us being ready ready or on god's team for it that seems important what about you erica so a little bit later in the book of acts we do have an encounter with god and it's, it's a little bit different than paul's because paul's not seeking it out whatsoever especially not an encounter with jesus um but this one's about peter one of the disciples and he is up on a rooftop and he's praying, which he probably did regularly um, at three o'clock in the afternoon. And he gets this vision from God. Um, and you have to remember at this point in the story of Acts, um, the gospel is still only being shared basically among, amongst the Jewish people. Uh, the Gentiles aren't really welcomed into um, the sharing of the gospel at this point. So Peter has this vision of this sheet that comes down three times and has on all these unclean animals and Peter being the good Jew that he is, you know, would never touch these kind of animals, let alone eat them. And yet God says to him, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter's like, Hey God, no, I, you know, these animals aren't kosher. And God's like, no, Peter, kill and eat. And this happens over and over and over again to the point that like Peter really, you know, Peter starts to make this realization that, okay, maybe this message isn't just for for the jewish people it's for the gentile people too and we we see that more so a little bit later in the story um after the after the sheet goes back up into the heaven after the third time this group of men come searching for peter and they are from cornelius's house cornelius is a roman centurion yeah mm -hmm. and um 
you know, obviously a Gentile, somebody who would not, you would normally not connect God with. And Cornelius has been told by God in another vision, like, go send for Peter and Joppa and have him come back to your house. Mm -hmm. um, and Peter does, you know, he follows these men after seeing this vision and it's like, okay, I guess God wants me to go to these Gentiles and, and mm -hmm. to share the gospel. And out of that, an entire household is saved. And like that moment is such an important one in the story of Acts. I mean, like it's it's important for Cornelius and his family. And we could also maybe explore his his side of that story is also kind of serendipitous because he's mm -hmm. in that interesting category of being called a God fearer, someone who isn't Jewish, but is kind of sympathetic toward the God of the, the Jewish people uh, and had helped them build a synagogue. And so he's like seen as this positive figure, even though he's also an officer in the enemy occupying army um but that out of nowhere it's a an angel who comes to him and says hey you should ask for peter he's going to tell you something important and that there is serendipity for peter for sure uh, that none of them are looking for this moment for the boundaries to get pushed but that's exactly what happens like there is these middle chapters and acts where the holy spirit is the one pushing the boundaries and leading people to go beyond just oh not just judeans not just in jerusalem oh it's going to be including samaritans and, and now at that threshold it's almost like the next toe in the water is okay he's gentile but he's a nice gentile right so like he's he's cornelius so he's been friendly to us so can we accept that god's including those people okay now we get that and that it, it by the end of the book of acts we are now in a full-fledged there is a mission to non-jewish people everywhere not just the nice ones but everybody everywhere and that it's that active serendipity on the holy spirit's part that pushes those boundaries <laughs> Yeah, it's a fulfillment of what Jesus tells to his disciples before he ascends into heaven, um, that they will receive power from the, when the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and there will be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and all Samaria. We're finally getting to that Samaria part of it, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, where they've stayed so close to Jerusalem and Judea um, for these months, or however long it's been since Jesus ascended. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And to me, like, I've often heard commentators say that that opening sentence from jesus in chapter one of Acts is is almost like the outline of the whole book like it's now you can chart the whole rest of the book of acts as watch how the good news spreads from judea from jerusalem to judea to samaria and then outward by the end to the ends of all creation yeah yeah which is maybe a helpful segue to uh, another serendipity moment as well that happens in a similar part of that that book of acts as well uh, I think in Cornelius, the story is like Acts 10 and Acts 7, 8 is the story where um, a guy named Philip, who is um, like a community organizer in the Jerusalem church, he's not like a pastor, but he's been part of their food program to make sure that the widows in the community are provided with food. And yet, even though he's not... Um, ordained as a pastor yet they don't have that yet but he's not like one of the preacher teacher peoples he's the food ministry guy um the holy spirit sort of says hey go on to this desert road i've got somebody for you to meet and he meets going along the way um court official from the royal court of ethiopia who is also a eunuch and he's reading from the book of the prophet isaiah uh on his way south away from uh jerusalem and away from where the rest of the christian community is and there along the way philip tells him about Jesus. And as he tells him about Jesus, the Ethiopian eunuch goes, hey, we're going past some water. 
what's to prevent me from being baptized? And it's like one of the most loaded questions in all the Bible, right? Because like, well, honestly, there's a long list of reasons why you should not be included. Have you read Deuteronomy? It says anybody with any kind of genital malformation is not allowed to be a part of the assembly of God's people. Uh, you're from a different ethnic race, so you're not Jewish. And we haven't gotten to the Cornelius moment yet. And you're headed the wrong direction. You're not going to come back and be a part of a church. Like any one of those would have been a moment for Philip to go, here's why you can't be included. And for that matter, Philip could have said, I'm not even a pastor. I don't do that. Right. I can get you food, but I'm not. Um, but despite all that, these he baptizes them right there in the standing water. They happen to be driving past at the time. And the next thing you know, Philip's whisked away by the Holy Spirit and he finds himself somewhere else. And the Ethiopian eunuch, uh, heads on his way rejoicing, the text says. Uh, but like it's this moment that if you would have started with the story of Philip's mind and his own business and the Holy Spirit says, go to this road, nobody expects that to be the conclusion of the story. And Philip's got a job. He's got a different ministry. He's not the baptizing evangelism boundary pushing guy. He's the food ministry guy. That's safe and familiar. And who can be mad at feeding hungry widows, right? Um but the result of that moment is earth shattering because, again, it's, it pushes the boundaries of who's going to be included, even when we have real clear religious rules from Deuteronomy itself, why he should not be included. And Philip just sort of takes it on himself. He doesn't even say, well, let me consult with the rest of the pastors on this. Let me talk to Paul about this or Peter about this. He just, yeah, this is the moment. This is for you. And it to me, it's it's this powerful and scandalous moment about just what we might get ourselves into when one of those serendipitous moments of faith happens. Um, because my instinct in any kind of one of those moments is let's put the brakes on. Let's have a committee meeting. Let's think about it. And Philip's response is, yeah, there's no good reason why you can't be included. Let's go. It, 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 it pokes at me every time I hear this story. So I we've now all... talked about the Old Testament and the New Testament. Are those the only places where we can have serendipitous faith moments? Oh, goodness, no. We can have them. That sounds like it'd be a good conversation all on its own. <laughs> Maybe we'll do that next time. <laughs> that sounds like a good idea. In fact, join us next time. And we're going to move from where all these moments happen in the Bible to what it might look like in our lives to be ready for serendipitous moments of faith. So join us for that conversation next time here on Crazy Faith Talk. See you. Bye. Bye.